Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday service. We gather every Sunday in person at 10.30 a.m. We meet together in community in our small groups throughout the week. Now, this week is, of course, Thanksgiving week, so our online small group will not be meeting this week. Uh, but we have an in-person small group Sunday morning before church smart starts. We have a young adult small group on Tuesday nights. Uh, we have our Wednesday night small group that's online on Zoom. And you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information for the Zoom link, etc. Also, we have our youth group that meets on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. We're always taking donations for the Wichita Family Center for non-perishable food items, and we are taking toy donations for the Toy and Joy program, which is serving underprivileged families in our community. We are finishing this week our study of the 10 least read books of the Bible, and so we'll be studying the book of Obadiah if you want to turn there. Uh, last of all, I just want to say that we had our annual conference. So if you're part of Faith on Hill, this is your home church. We had our annual conference, which is the gathering of all of our churches in Washington and Oregon. This last week we met over in Happy Valley, and we had a great time worshiping together, fellowshipping together, hearing what the Lord is doing in the churches that we are connected with, and being challenged to continue the work that God has given us. So as we come into this holiday season, for me personally, it's with a fresh reminder of the heritage that we have. We've been ministering in this community since the 1870s, but this fresh challenge to minister the truth, the love, the good news of Jesus Christ to our community here in, as we end 2021 and go into 2022. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Obadiah and study God's Word together. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 1 says the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. So this is what we're told, that the Obadiah had a vision and it is from the sovereign Lord, God Almighty, towards the people of Edom. Now, what's a vision versus a prophecy? You know, we get kind of boxed in, and maybe that's by our own traditions, maybe that's by our own background or experience, but the word prophecy just means to speak the word of God, and how God gives his word to people is different in different circumstances and different situations. Uh, sometimes it seems like the prophets saw a vision. They saw something, and then they wrote it down. This is what I saw. Sometimes it seems like God spoke to their spirit and they spoke what God told them. Uh, we're not always sure how these things came or happened. Um, you know, I, I have once in my life had a vision. And, and, and this sounds, seems like this kind of hokey, anti-science, anti-modern kind of thing to say I had a vision. But I did. I was at work one night. This was 2005. I was at work one night, and I saw a street in Manchester, England. It was a very specific road, and I'd been there before. I knew the road. I actually couldn't remember the name of the road. It's, I, I know it now. It's Oxford Road, which is a very big deal kind of road in Manchester. 
But Oxford Road in Manchester, it's kind of like, um, you know, McLaughlin here or 82nd. Like, these are big, major streets. But I saw this vision of Oxford Road in Manchester. And, and that kind of spurred this whole thing of prayer and seeking the Lord and led me to go back to England. I had been a missionary there before, but uh, led me to go back to England and, and serve God there again. And less than a year after seeing that vision, I found myself teaching a Bible study every Thursday night in an apartment right on Oxford Road, right where I had seen that vision. And I remember being there looking out the window at Oxford Road thinking, what happened? I wasn't even 25 years old at that point in my life. And I, I, I'm going, I saw a vision and less than a year later, I am here. I didn't even try to get here. We were actually trying to meet as, as a church plant uh, on another part of downtown Manchester and it just happened. So that's, I think what happened here is that Obadiah saw something and he's writing it down, and he's writing it down concerning the people of Edom. Now, Edom were the people who kind of claimed their founder or their, their founding father as Esau. Now, you might remember a couple of years ago on Sunday morning, we studied the book of Genesis. God called a man named Abraham out of obscurity. We're going to talk a little bit about him next week uh, as we start the gospel of Matthew. But God called this guy Abraham out of obscurity and said, leave your father's house, the land where you grew up, and go to the land I will show you, which we now know as the promised land, the land of Israel. And Abraham had a son, Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And we focus on Jacob because it's out of Jacob that the people of Israel, the 12 tribes, are the 12 sons of Jacob. We focus there. His other son, Esau, went into the hill country and sort of became the founding father of the people of Edom. Now, Edom, if you are familiar with the map of Israel, and if you're not, you can just pause this and you can get on Google Maps and find Israel. Edom was the southeastern corner. If you see the Dead Sea, Edom was south of the Dead Sea and slightly east. So part of what's modern-day Israel and part of what's modern-day Jordan is where the Edomites lived, in the hill country above the Negev Desert. So Obadiah is speaking a vision that he saw. He's, he's conveying this, this information he's been given, and it's about these people who are sort of Israel adjacent. For, for lack of a better term, they're Israel adjacent. They are children of Abraham and Isaac, but not of Jacob. They are children of Abraham. God said, Abraham, out of you I will make many nations. And the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Esau, and, and it goes on that God, through one obscure man, made many peoples. But the Edomites were not the people of Israel. And they have kind of an interesting and, and sometimes sad backstory with the people of Israel. And it made me think, I, we always want to be careful, right? This is something we've talked about, where one of the big mistakes that people make in studying the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, is that either 
we totally divorce ourselves from them and say, this has nothing to do with us. We're all about the New Testament. We're all about Jesus. Or we try to put ourselves in the story and say, yeah, cross out Edomites and say us. Oh no, he's not going to say good things. Okay, put them back in. Where's the part where he says good things? That's who I will pretend to be. We got to recognize who's the original author, who's the original audience, what's the intent, and say, hey, that's originally intended for this people. But I'm not also going to totally divorce myself from this and say that God can't speak to me, that I can't find a principle, an application, something that's universally true that speaks into my life and informs my world. Edom was Israel adjacent. And I think if we're looking around for something that's comparable in our day, who are church-adjacent people or groups? Now, what is the church? The church is anyone who has a saving faith in Jesus Christ, anyone who is a true follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. They're the church. The church isn't this building I'm standing in. Can I be honest? One of the things I love about hosting... uh, Scopos Christian School, uh, which we do Monday through Friday, is that there's people here. Because for a while, I would be here by myself. And, and I remember kind of, I would walk the halls of the building, and, and it'd be like Tuesday morning or Thursday afternoon, and I'd just think, I can't wait for the church to be here. Because right now, it's just a building. The church is the people. That's why you could have something that's called church it's a church. How do I know? Well, there's a sign out front that says church, or there's a architectural marker like a steeple that tells me it's a church. But it means nothing. When I lived in England, I lived in the south part of Manchester the first time I lived there, and on uh, the main road that cut through the, si- the town I lived in, uh, a town called Stockport, there was a steeple And you could see it from where I lived. And I hadn't been there very long when I walked down that way for whatever reason. And I was walking down that main road and I realized as I came closer that there was not a building there. There was no church there. All that was left, there had been a fire or something had happened, but but it was historic. And so all that was left was the graveyard, which is why it hadn't been touched because it was a, a cemetery. And then the front of the church and the steeple still stood, but everything else was in ruins. And that is what a church-adjacent church is. It might have markers of being a church. It has a steeple, it has a building, it has a sign on the door. But if it's not the church of Jesus, it's just a building, or it's a community group, then it's adjacent. It's kind of there, but it's not. The people of Edom were descendants of Abraham, but they were not the chosen people. Who are church-adjacent groups in our day? Sometimes it's actual churches that just, it's like they might as well just be considered a ruins now. Sometimes it's, it's groups like I would say the Mormons are church-adjacent. They claim Jesus Christ, but they do not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Some people say that Muslims and Jews and Christians, and we're all people of the book. That's, you ever heard that? My Muslim friends and co-workers and neighbors that I've had over the years, good people, but they do not believe that Jesus is God in human flesh. They do not believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. They do not believe that Jesus rose and died again. 
my Jewish friends and neighbors and co-workers that I've had over the years, good people. And, and, and there's nobody who's more ant- against, I almost said anti-anti-Semitic, but you know, there's nobody who's more against anti-Semitism than me. But they do not believe that Jesus is their Messiah. They reject him. And they are not people of God. I, I think they want to be. I think that's their desire. I think that they're close to the truth. But if you reject Jesus, you reject the truth. That's what we believe. Is that an exclusive claim? Yes. Does that mean that I hate you if you don't believe in Jesus? No. But that's who the Edomites are. They're church adjacent. They're kind of there, but they're not. What does Obadiah say to them? He said, we have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, let us rise and go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home in the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like an eagle, though you make your nests among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Now this might mean very little to us. They're living in rocks. What's going on there? It's basic military truth. If you hold the high ground, you hold the advantage. The Edomites were not the biggest, they were not the strongest, but they were unconquered because of their geographic situation. To the south was a desert that was really hard to march troops through. There's the, north, uh, the Dead Sea to the north. And then they themselves sat in a high ground highly defensible. You could store food up there. It's hard to get to. If an army tries to come up, they can just be shot at with arrows. People can, uh, can shoot at the arrows, and they try to shoot back, and the rocks protect them. It's easier to shoot down than up, all this stuff. Like, this is basic stuff that we understand. So they think, who's going to bring us down? And in our day, certainly, there are nations, even ours, let's be honest, in America, we've made our home among the stars. And I don't want to like overly allegorize this, but, but we have conquered space as much as any human ever has. And they have pride in that security. But verse 5, if thieves came to rob you in the night, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? What he's saying is you've got treasures stored up. What happens if somebody comes and takes it? How Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasure pillaged, verse 6. All your allies will force you to your border. Your friends will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat bread will set traps for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? those of understanding in the mountains of Esau. You warriors, Taman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Why? Verse 10, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered in shame. You will be destroyed forever. On that day, you stood aloof, 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 while strangers carried off his wealth, speaking of Jacob or the people of Israel, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother 
in that day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives. So, so apparently, People fled Jerusalem as it was being conquered and being pillaged, and they were waiting there to steal them and kill, steal from them and kill them. Whatever you have left, we'll take it and we'll kill you and we will leave you there. Nor to hand over their survivors in the day of trouble. So apparently they didn't just kill them, but they took some to hand over to the Babylonians. Hey, you wanted these guys here. Oh, thank you. You're going to pay us for our, our troubles. We appreciate that. And the day of the Lord is near for all nations, verse 15. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they never had enough. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. And Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be fire and Joseph flame. Esau will be stubble. And they will be set on him fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. I, I love verse of the day calendars because I love the idea of Bible verses that don't fit verse of the day calendars. I have this idea of making a, a verse of the day Bible calendar that's only verses that shouldn't be on there. And I, I think we could put verse 18, there will be no survivors on that list. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau People from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samara. Benjamin will possess Gilead. The company of the Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarphath. The exiles of Jerusalem as far as Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. This is God's word. The big idea coming across here is that Edom had this really troublesome history with Israel. When God delivered his people from their slavery in Egypt and they were coming into the promised land, they said, hey, Edomites, we're family. Your, your patriarch is Abraham. Our patriarch is Abraham. We don't, we don't need to fight. And yet the Edomites fought against them. And then all through the history of Israel, the Edomites were an opposition, an opposing force against the people of God. And then on the day when Jerusalem was conquered and pillaged and ransacked, they were there watching. They didn't come to help what was, should have been their family. In fact, some of them went into the city and took some of the plunder for themselves. Some of them went into the city and drank and celebrated. Some of them waited outside the city for people trying to escape, and they cut them down, and they plundered from them, and they sold those who remained alive into the slavery and the Babylonians. Remember I said, who's church adjacent? Who, who in our day puts themselves close to the church. It's funny, we talk a lot about the increasing secularism in our society, but there are many who kind of try to put themselves close to the church. 
And yet, when something goes wrong, they're the first to cast stones. And I want to be really careful because I don't want to come off as sounding like if you speak against the church, if you speak against Faith on Hill, if you speak against me, and then God's going to get you. I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be careful myself. There's a church in southern Oregon that I've had a lot of problems with over the years. I've had problems with their teaching. I've had problems with what I've perceived as pride and arrogance from their leadership. And they've been humbled. A couple years ago, they'd have thousands and thousands of people on a weekend, and I heard they have 100, 200 people now on a Sunday morning. That's bigger than my church still, but, you know, that's a big fall. And it's a reminder to me that, yes, is God dealing with that church? I believe he is. But I don't want to throw stones and rejoice just because God is dealing with them because God could easily do the cleansing work he's doing right now and then restore them. And I sit there going, wait, what? There is sort of a, um, a trend right now. Sometimes it's called ex-evangelical. Sometimes it's called uh, deconstructionism. And I want to be really careful because I think there is some validity to the, the idea of kind of breaking down if you grew up in a, a toxic kind of church culture. But there's this idea of throwing stones at the church of God. Jesus loves his church. And if you were hurt in the church, I believe it. I mean, good night. You want to talk about the hypocrisy of the church? You want to talk about being hurt in the church? I've experienced it. But Jesus loves his church. And let me tell you this, it's not better on the outside. Oh, but you know what? My non-Christian friends are way nicer to me than my Christian friends. No, your non-Christian friends, they just don't care what you do. The Edomites, you know, hey, we'll just do whatever. Yes, God was dealing with his people, but he was doing so so that he could bring them back to a place of covenant relationship, a place of holiness, a place of wholeness, a place of restoration. And the Edomites were throwing stones in their pride in their drunkenness, in their immorality, in their violence. So, you know what? This is the least read book of the Bible, as far as they can tell, right? The, the, the websites that are like Bible websites, they keep track of which books of the Bible, which pages get more views. Obadiah is the least read book of the Bible. And I get it. Let me be honest about that. I get it. Because you have 66 books in the Bible, there's always going to be one that's read less than another one. And if you're going to read one book of the Bible, read one of the Gospels, read the book of Acts, you know. I totally get that. But what it reminds me of, and what it brings to my attention, is here's the Edomites setting themselves apart. They're church-adjacent. They're God-adjacent. They're close. They think they're superior we have these defenses. No one's going to bring us down. We have the high ground. We're on the right side of history. All of those things. And they wouldn't deal with their own sin, their own violence, their own substance abuse, their own rebellion. They, they just looked down when they saw what they perceived as the hypocrisy of the people of God. I can look around and find hypocrisy very easy. The easiest place I can find it is in my own life. 
the hardest place to deal with it is in my own life. It's very easy to try to deal with someone else's issue instead of speaking to my own life. I can sit and rejoice when God brings his justice or his judgment or his cleansing on someone else, but what if it was me? Now, we might think that this is only speaking to the Edomites, but verse 15, I want to close with this. The Lord, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. We can look around this world of madness and we say, you know what, where is the justice? It doesn't take much to look around and we can see corruption. We can see uh, people getting away with things. We go, how? How is this okay? How is this allowed? That, that, that we know this person is guilty and they walk free. And this person, there's a question of their innocence and yet nobody wants to take the time to open the case back up. We can look around and we can see starvation because of civil war. You know, what's going on in Ethiopia? We see the, um, the, the junta that's happening in Myanmar. All of these things that are going on and they're so troubling and there's just stuff in our own country. And you go, what is happening? The day of the Lord is near for all nations. God will not let this madness go on forever. And that's troubling because I'm part of the madness. Except that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, God placed all of my sin on his shoulders and said, his death will take the justice that my sins deserved. And any person who believes in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, who confesses with their mouth, believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, will be saved. And so when we read in verse 15, the day of the Lord is near for all nations, I know that that day should be coming for me, but Jesus took that away. And so I warn and I plead and I beg with anyone who is not a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is coming, the day when God makes things right. But in making things right, it might be the end for you. The only reason that I don't read those words and tremble is because of the security and the safety that comes from being in Jesus, in faith, in covenant relationship with him and with his people. And let me tell you, again, if you want, I'm not going to say it publicly here, but if you want, I'm going to make this, this open offer. You can email me. We can figure out a way to, you know, have a phone call or a Zoom meeting or, you know, in-person coffee or something. I'll tell you all the ways that the church has been hurtful to me, the times where I've been in a church thing that's been abusive, times where I've been in a church situation that was just unfair or, or not great. And I'll, I'll be honest about my experience. And, I, and if you don't want to hear anything about mine, but you just want to come and tell me yours, I'm a pastor in the church of Jesus Christ. I will listen. Maybe you're like, hey, it's about you. Okay, fine, I'll listen. Hey, it's about somebody you don't know. Fine, I'll listen. But understanding all that, it's not better outside. 
Because the world outside is full of violence. The world outside is full of rebellion to God. Is there problems? Yes. Were there problems in Israel? That's why God sent the Babylonians to bring his people into exile. Are there problems in the church? Yes. But it's not better outside. Because the day of the Lord is near for all nations. But you know what's great? Verse 20, the company of the Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land. The exiles from Jerusalem will possess the towns. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion. You might be in the darkest night, the roughest season, but God's redemptive work is real. And it happened for Israel. Israel was taken out of the land. Everybody might have thought, hey, they're done. In 70 years, they were brought back. You might think, I'm done. There's nothing God can do to change my situation. And you have no idea the power and the potential for God to work in your life. I believe that is true with all my heart. Let's pray together. Well, as we end our time in prayer, I want to read this verse from the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, A new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. We know that your kingdom is coming. It's here. It's already here, and it's not yet here at the same time. And Lord, we ask that that love would be the mark of your kingdom in our lives. Love for you, yes, but love for each other. In our church family, show us how we can love each other, young and old, more traditional, more modern, all of these different right and left, all of these different things that we come into with. But Lord, help us to love each other. Help us as a church to love other churches because they are brothers and sisters with us. Lord, help love among our church and among our church and other churches to be the mark of the church here in North Clackamas. Lord, we pray that as we enter this holiday season, we would be full of the love of God and that that love would be so full in our lives that it would pour out. And I'd invite you right now, if, if you feel lacking the love of God, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you would be full of the love of God. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing, that you would bring forgiveness. For, forgive us, Lord, but help us to forgive others, that you would be bringing peace this week as we gather for Thanksgiving, as we uh, get ready for the holidays. And sometimes the Thanksgiving, the holiday table, is a table of strife. I don't want to hear Uncle Frank talk about his politics. I don't want to hear my cousin talk about that. I don't want to hear my, my, my brother or my sister give their views on COVID, which are different than my views. Lord, the strife is just so rampant. I pray that you would bring peace, love, and healing to our holiday tables this week and this year. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we will see you next Sunday in person and online at 1030 a.m. as we begin our study of the Gospel of Matthew.